0: Hello and welcome back to the VBPH sermon podcast on this top 10 countdown of the most popular messages of 2021. We're glad you're here. I want to wish you a Merry Christmas on this beautiful Saturday. We're glad to have you here with us, and we hope that you're enjoying your time with family, with your church family, and with those that you love and care about. Uh, Today, we've reached number seven on our list, and this is a message from Pastor Artie Aragon, one of my favorite preachers an incredible man of God, incredible testimony, incredible church there on the Navajo Reservation in Northern Arizona. And this message is titled, A Spiritual Concern, just an amazing, absolutely great message that is inspiring, convicting, and was preached to a men's discipleship. So we hope you enjoy this message and Merry Christmas.
1: Something happened to me not too long ago. In fact, uh, it's been right about a year ago. I was in prayer on regular Sunday morning, uh, uh, Monday morning prayer meeting. And uh, I was alone. So I thought, you know what, this Wednesday I'm going to preach a sermon on prayer that's going to either get every Navajo man saved... Or I'm gonna run off every Navajo in the church. So true to form, I preached a scorcher. I mean, I was I, it was it was so bloody I was ashamed. So after the service, you know, if you're a pastor, you know what I mean. You, I walked away kind of feeling bad. And we do do that. We walk away kind of feeling bad. And I thought, well, if nothing else, I'll have a great prayer meeting tomorrow morning. I'll be all healed up. Hallelujah. Well, the next morning I get there very early which is common and I'm beginning to pray and come 7 o'clock I'm still alone 7.05 I'm flaming still alone now I'm thinking what's wrong here and you, ain't, you are not going to believe what I begin to think I begin now you're going to think this is stupid but I thought the rapture came and I got left behind <laughs> I'm not lying so I kneel down at my chair, and I mean, I'm nervous. No one's there. And I get up and I'm gonna go call my wife. And I'm saying, what are you thinking? You're the pastor. Surely you would have gone. So I, I thought, oh, I got up and I began to walk to the parking lot. And I saw a brother coming in, and I, hello, pastor. I said, hello. And I thought, I don't think he's saved. He don't count. <laughs> He would have got left behind as well. (laughs) Finally, my son-in-law came in tiptoeing. And I was so happy to see him. Chris, come here, son. Pray right here by your pastor. Now, I, I know that sounds pretty crazy. What I believe happened to me that morning... As I believe for the first time in a long time, I was genuinely concerned about my own spirituality. I knelt down that morning in prayer and I began to search my heart. I'm an older, seasoned pastor now, and I am searching my heart. I want to preach to you this morning about a spiritual concern. Because I believe this is valid if we're going to do anything for God. In the book of Psalms, chapter 139, verse 23 and 24, the Bible says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way that is everlasting. Somewhere in our lives, I believe as men, we're going to have to be very, very concerned with our own personal spiritual condition. Especially as we see the return of Jesus Christ in this day approaching. As we see all that is taking place on the political field. I believe the hour and the time has come where our personal spiritual condition must come to the surface of our lives. We can hear hundreds of sermons. We can attend hundreds of events. It does not matter. But I'm telling you, there's nothing so healthy tonight than when men will go before God and men will be concerned with their own spiritual condition. And here we find the psalmist laying before us a very intense challenge For God to search him. I want to talk firstly about a spiritual atmosphere that I believe has got the capability of affecting every one of us. These spiritual atmospheres are extremely intense and are going to be compounded in the last days. And I dare say in a group of men this size, these spiritual atmospheres could possibly have already laid hold of your heart which makes the subject matter so critical. There is a warning. You will find the first one in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. The context of this passage of Scripture is in fact the last days. And the Bible says, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless a falling away comes first with any level of study at all. You will find that this is not speaking about an hour of great cessation out of the kingdom of God. It is not talking about hundreds of people backsliding. What it is talking about in the great falling away is the abandonment of biblical truth. I believe that in the last days this is going to be a very, very, very intense spiritual atmosphere. This is describing a generation that is ever learning, never coming to the knowledge of the truth. I have seen that play out across the board and even in my ministry in Chinle. I can preach on tithing and even though those people are saved and in church, oftentimes that spiritual truth hardly makes it to the front door for that day. You can preach on on living holy, living clean, preaching on marriage. But there is a climate and an atmosphere that if we are not careful, we will ever be hearing the powerful truth of the divine instruction of the Word of God and it will leave us with very little impact and no intention of change, abandoning the spiritual truth that has been laid before us. I believe if we were honest today... There are probably a number of subjects in our own personal life that we hear dealt with and we hear challenged, and conviction will come upon our own life, but we will still be recipients of the long term struggles of the same battle year after year after year, abandoning all the spiritual truth and all the direction we might receive. From the pulpit and otherwise, is speaking about an atmosphere where the truth no longer has impact in our lives. How many folks remember? I've been saved for 24 years. I can remember going to a Prescott conference or any major venue. And I promise you, we thought Jesus was coming back that very night. I can remember when evangelists would come. Oh, beloved, we would fast and pray. We would get right with God. We would repent of things. Because woe be unto us. If that man would point his finger at us. There was a fear of being exposed. I can remember a day when we missed morning prayer, meeting. we'd answer the sinner's altar call. The atmosphere of the last days has got to be recognized in this context. The truth of God's word must have total, total access to our heart to still bring us to the place where we don't abandon what we just heard. In Matthew 24 and 12, it speaks of another spiritual attitude that's going to lend to this thought very powerfully. It says, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Also speaking about the last days where society as we know it gets so crazy, so insane, We have been burned so many times. We are totally exhausted in the kingdom of God. We are totally given over. We have done this for years. And lawlessness has abounded. No real conversions. No real changes. Overwhelmed with the sinner world and the insanity of reaching a dying world that the love of many will grow cold. There's a lot of things I want to avoid, and this is one of them. I never want to get to the place where I grow to hate the very thing God called me to give my life to. If we are not careful, this spiritual condition, I have seen this get on preachers. I have seen this get on disciples where nothing pleases them, nothing matters. It doesn't matter if a hundred people get saved. The waxed, cold heart will say, they're not going to stay saved anyway. What's the use and the the horrible atmosphere of our love for many growing cold? Listen to me, especially in our longevity. If we are going to make impact in this particular generation, we're going to have to gut our heart from waxing cold in the face of sin that is abounding. 1 Corinthians 9 and 27 speaks of a deadly atmosphere. It says, But I keep my body and I bring it into subjection lest that by any means when I have preached to others I myself would become a castaway. One of my prayers this morning, I pray it every morning. I said, God, as you allow me to grow in grace, as you allow me to grow in influence, as you advance my own personal life, in what is now in the embryo stage of a global atmosphere, God, after having preached to others, do not allow me. I pray against this. I bring my body into subjection. I fight for this. I myself do not want to be a castaway. As I look at our fellowship overall, I have seen some of the most insane things that men have ever conceived in their thinking. And my fear is they are, for all intents and purposes, better men than myself. But absent of a personal spiritual concern, they themselves, men of God, leaders and world voices, found themselves in this spiritual atmosphere where they themselves ever having preached to others became a castaway. I am convinced that there's no battle so great to repair than when anyone of influence becomes a castaway. In the face of these three atmospheres, there is a spiritual concern at work in our text. The word here that you will find, search me, O God, is a term of personal examination. I want you to listen to me. And it is pointing here in a passionate concern. In the context of this passage of Scripture, you can tell that this is not a casual prayer. This is not a normal corporate prayer meeting, I don't believe. But what is at work here is a very serious cry of the psalmist's heart that I believe is critical for men of this generation as he cries out from the depths of his life and he says, search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. His prayer is so crystal clear. That morning in prayer meeting I'm so convicted because the psalmist says, God examine me and search me I cry and see if there is any wicked way in me. See, we're not talking about a novice here. We're not talking about a young man here. We're talking about someone who is given over to a spiritual concern, and his final cry is God, lead me, lead me above all things, lead me in the way that is everlasting. Psalms 26 and 1 says, Judge me, O Lord, for I have walked in mine integrity. I have trusted also in the Lord, therefore I shall not slide. Examine me. Prove me and know my heart. Can we talk this morning? I don't know about you, but there's been a time or two in my life I didn't want God to know what I was thinking. We can carry the facade of total togetherness, but oftentimes the very thoughts in our mind, if they were exposed... The thoughts and the intents of our heart were spilled out before men to see. We would find ourselves very short of all that it takes to avoid the spiritual atmospheres that we're being warned against. And here, the psalmist is very concerned with what's in his heart. He's very concerned about being the led the proper way, and he is saying, God. Examine my personal life. The term search me actually means God investigate my personal conduct. This reaches into the depths of our character. See, we've always preached character as a product of discipline or the absence of discipline. But character is not that at all. Character is speaking of the center of the man's heart, which is the government over his will, which is his thinking process. I know disciplined men that have terrible character. It's the way they think and the way they choose and the way they decide. And here the the psalmist is saying, You know what, God? I lay before you and I want you with scrutiny to measure the way I conduct the affairs of my personal life. It says, examine my heart. Put me to the test. Know my thoughts. As I was kneeling in that prayer meeting, I'm thinking, my goodness, what am I capable of thinking? What do I allow into the soul gate of my mind and my heart? And he cries out, is there any wicked way in me? I was pretty stumbled by that passage of scripture. Because for all intents and purposes, I don't believe that we are wicked men. And I really don't think the psalmist was wicked. Because see, we paint that to be this gross, intense, obvious sin, which it may be. But I don't believe this is the context of the prayer of the psalmist. The word here actually means any idolatry or any error or false principle or anything contrary. Listen to the context of this. He is saying, see the word idolatry here is not the shaking of a rattle like the Native Americans to a false god. This is not Catholicism. The word idolatry here is the psalmist is saying, God, see if I've allowed anything that I value more than my duties to you in the kingdom. Think with me for a moment how oh, that kind of idolatry is so preeminent in this generation. So easy put our duties in the kingdom of God and our responsibilities to God second to those things that might have risen to more value than our duty. He says, see if there is any error in me. Do you imagine, gentlemen, what I'm speaking this morning would have spared hundreds of men? See, we all know men who have fallen Young, new converts, older converts, disciples, pastors, leaders. And I'm talking about a spiritual concern that would have intervened and intersected their own will had they cried out and said, God, see if there is any error in me. God, deal with anything that is wrong. God, search me and know me. I don't want to think this way. God, lead me in the way that is everlasting. God, is there any error in me? How many folks know that when we're an error, everyone can see it except ourself? And I'm amazed How we are so convinced that we're right when everyone is saying we're wrong. He says, see if there's any false principle. Boy, aren't we a generation of false principles. Or we will take on a principle and it may have relevance and it may even bear some truth. But I've seen hundreds of men that will die to something that is a false in nature. The spiritual concern I'm speaking of is the examination of our own heart, God. Is there any false principle in us? How many folks know that when something like that's in us, we can go on for years until one day. No one can convince us otherwise. It can be avoided this morning by a personal investigation of our own heart. The psalmist is saying, investigate my life. See if there is anything contrary in me. If I can be honest today, some of the worst times of my Christianity is when there was things that were contrary at work in my own life that finally came to the place where I said, you know what, God, I can't fight this. This is contrary. God, help me. Deliver me. Examine me. Anything that is contrary, I want you to deal with my heart. Search me and know me. The psalmist knows God searches the heart. He cries out in the first verse of our chapter, He says, All that thou hast searched me, and thou that knows me.
0: Thanks again for listening to the free version of the VBPH Sermon Podcast, where we post sermons on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays,
1: Is men look on the outward. And the psalmist understands that God searches the heart. And he is inviting him to exercise that power in his own life. His prayer is of person is personal in nature. Examine with scrutiny that he would that I would be under no delusion. Examine me with scrutiny that I'd be under no self-deception, no false hope. Let me not cherish any improper feeling and God deliver me from any evil desires. Search me and know me and try me and deal with me and lead me in the way that I should go. What we're seeing this morning is a clear display of an absent commodity that you and I must embrace this morning, and that is sincerity, genuineness, and the distrust, distrust of self. You know what the truth is? We can't be trusted without Jesus Christ. We're capable of anything. And here we find the psalmist saying, God, I lay my heart open. Proverbs 16 and 3 makes an interesting statement. It says, if we'll commit our ways to the Lord and our thoughts, our thoughts at that juncture in life will be established. Believe this morning, and we must come to the place where we're willing to examine ourselves. Do you realize what that would do to discipleship? The years we've spent trying to conform, trying to be convinced, when it's as simple as a personal concern of our own spirituality. I want to speak to you secondly about the temporal versus the spiritual. There's an amazing comparison in the light of the last days that I believe is the conflict of the last days. And we've read it hundreds of times, but I don't believe we've ever caught it. In Matthew 24 it says, But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Now think of that comparison for a moment. There is nothing wrong with eating and drinking. Can you, can you say amen, Brother Dillard? <laughs> <laughs> Navajos like to eat. Weed and everything. At a wedding, it don't matter what I say is going to happen at the church. Wherever they go after the ceremony, they're going to pig out for hours. Somebody dies. I mean, the food, the food trays are on. What's wrong with eating anyway? Drinking here is not strong drink. That's actually a description of fellowship. Boy, we love to fellowship. Can you say amen? And I believe we ought to fellowship. Can you say amen? This comparison is comparing fellowship to the last days. What a strange comparison. What's wrong with getting married? I'll bet there's men in here, you need to get married. Hallelujah. (laughs) I can see your lip vibrating. You need to get married, bro. In fact, I got a bunch of Navajos need to get married you better you got to better be careful here we might run off with a city girl if you ain't watching we need to get married there's nothing wrong with getting married. Why is this in the last days? It'll be like the days of Noah. Hallelujah. They were eating and drinking. You think it's say fornicating and you know queers and homoing, you know, you think and they were doing all this and such will the return of the Son of Man be and you're thinking what in the world? Eating and drinking and giving and marriage and getting married. What's the problem? problem is it's pointing to the conflict of the last days where it's a generation that is given over to the things that they see, the things of their own life, captivated with normal business, normal jobs, and we all got to work normal education and we all need an education given over with the things that we see raising children wealth things that are seen this is a picture beloved of the amazing comparison that in the last days people will be given over to the things that are temporal things that are seen i gotta admit i'm a pastor on the rest i'm shocked on the honor we've given education if you want a rude awakening, go meet, go to a parent teacher day and see some of those crazy people teaching your kids. It's a fact. The weirdest people in universities are the professors. I worry about old people with real long hair. You know, the ponytail starts right here, driving an old, beat up yellow Volvo, and he's the professor. Oh, that touched a little nerve, didn't it? <laughs> I'm from the rest. We don't even have a college nowhere close to us. Don't worry. I'm shocked on the tribute and the honor and the respect and the commitment and the determination that we pay to our worldly pharaoh. I mean, our worldly jobs. Now, hey, man, I don't know five pastors in our fellowship that are going to make you violate your obligation to your job. We know that. We've got to work. But oh my God, can't do that, can't do that, can't do that, got to work, got to, well can you at least get an extra hour off, oh no, 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 oh no, I can't do, I mean to tell you, late to church, late to prayer, late to every outreach we ever do, but I mean we got perfect attendance with Pharaoh's credit business card and timesheet, I'm amazed at that. generation given over to the things that are seen the conflict is they eclipse the things that are unseen oh beloved this is a picture beloved second Corinthians 4 says while we do not look at the things that are seen but the things that are unseen for the things that are seen beloved They're temporary. But the things that are not seen, they're eternal. The problem is we've reversed this. We've looked at the things that are seen. We are governed by the things that are seen. Neglecting and avoiding the things that are unseen, which are eternal, beloved. This is the conflict of the last days. I think I finally discovered a clear definition of worldliness. I want you to listen to me carefully. We've always pictured worldliness as having lots of toys and nice things. We've pictured worldliness as being given over to the entertainment of this world. And for you Tarfield fans, I'm real sorry you got beat last night. (laughs) You know, I don't know much about anything, but I do know that the Tar Heels are somewhere linked to North Carolina, and uh, North Carolina, they tried real hard, but they they got whipped. (laughs) I do know that. I don't think it's wrong to have a favorite football team. I don't think it's wrong to have a favorite basketball team. I don't think it's wrong to have a nice car, nice things, a nice house. I don't believe that's all wrong. But see, we view worldliness as the, the accumulating of nice things. Worldliness is when we as individuals have more concern with the things that are seen that, that than the things that are unseen. We're concerned about the eternal welfare of our life. What does it matter what you drive? You could drive a brand new Beamer or an old beat-up Volvo. When our priorities are right, worldliness is when we're so consumed with the world that it's eclipsed the things of the kingdom of God. I know people even in the res church, they're too busy to serve God correctly. That's worldliness. They're more concerned about everything they see. Got to eat, pastor. Got to live, pastor. Got to drive, pastor. Got to send the kids to schools, pastor. Got to, got to put food on the table, pastor. Got to buy clothes, pastor. Worldliness is when the things that are seen eclipse the things that are not seen. This spirit manifests itself in 2 Timothy 2 and 3, also a picture of the last days. Men shall be lovers of themselves Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. The scripture does say they do have a profound form of godliness. They're in church. They do everything they're supposed to do. The bottom line is they're more concerned with what they see than what they don't see. There's an absence of spiritual concern. I close this morning I believe I have just enough time the setting of our minds our hearts and our souls can I tell you that discipleship is not about obedience just to the pastor to the fellowship it's a setting of the heart and the mind and the soul obedience is an outflow see we're we're trying to we're trying to establish our mind our heart and our soul By outward discipline, it's never going to happen. Our outward discipline ought to be a manifestation of a set mind, a set heart, and a set soul. When I got saved, beloved, 24 years ago, I had money. I had one of the first televisions that had a zoom lens, a curved screen. I was so given over to the Denver Broncos. Don't laugh. I don't know why to this day. I could answer the phone off my television. When I got saved, all the disciples would come to my house. Thought they loved me. Heck, they wanted to watch my TV. Before we even had a TV rule. But you know what? I'm setting my mind and my heart and my soul can't have that thing pumping in trash into my family. I began to go to morning prayer. I didn't even know there was morning prayer. And for a while I didn't think there was. I finally told the pastor, Hey man, can I have a key? I gotta pray early. What time do you guys pray? Because I had a set mind. I can remember making lots of money in them days. I painted cars of particular interest. And I can remember making $7,000, painted Fleetwood Max Touring Limousine in Farmington, New Mexico. Do you know who we are? I'm the H and I don't care who you are. I need 50% down, bro. And I remember going to church that night. Sandra, I don't know how we're supposed to tithe. You know what Catholics? Catholics don't know how to tithe. You have six bucks on Easter, maybe 10 on Christmas. You're done for the year. I hope there's some converted Catholics in this place. (laughs) Can we see their giving report? (laughs) But you know, I knew I had to tithe. And in 1979, no, 1980, hey, hey, don't say whoa. I'll be around when you're 50. Listen. I didn't care what the pastor did with it. I said I gotta cut loose seven hundred bucks. And my wife said, seven hundred, what about the offering you tight? What? Okay, eight hundred. Oh I had to just throw in a thousand to cover ourselves. And, you know my pastor, first pastor was a Navajo. I didn't even like Indians. <laughs> What's wrong with this picture? You know, I'm used to Catholic priests. He had long hair, you know, Navajo. But I'd set my mind and my heart and my soul. Didn't matter. The things that are unseen have to govern my life. Colossians 3 says If you then be risen with Christ, you need to seek those things which are above where Christ sits on the right hand of God. And you need to set your affections, your interests, on those things that are above and not on the things of this earth. There it is again. First Chronicles 29 and 3 says, Moreover, because I have set my affections to the house of my God, God has given me of my own proper good. Proverbs 16 and 3 says, Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. Somewhere in our own personal spiritual concern, there needs to be some spiritual aims. Psalms 119.10 says, With my whole heart I have sought you. Now There's a man who's concerned with their spirituality. Can, can, can we talk again? When's the last time we sought God with our whole heart? Heart. Let me not wander from your commandments. Boy, that's giving us a prayer meeting right there. God, don't let me wander. I'm so concerned with myself. Don't let me embrace any evil thing. Your word I will hide in my heart that I will not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me, teach me thy statutes. I want to be one of these men. I don't want my discipleship from the beginning of time to right now to be this whole arena of my pastor always having to correct me. I want my pastor to be able to embrace a man who's passionate over the statutes of God. Spiritual concern means we give equal time. Equal passion, equal concern. And lastly, he says, Lead me in the way that is everlasting. And this Easter service was so powerful. God. I'm in a reservation town. It's Easter Sunday, and I close with this story. My daughters have a way of bringing the Spirit of God into such a powerful, tangible experience. At a Navajo choir. Navajo choir. Singing Father of Heaven cantata. About 25 songs. That's that's a miracle all by itself. If you've heard us sing, that's why we sing in Navajo. You You can't understand a word we're saying. here they're singing man and my daughters get the mic and they begin to sing Via De La Rosa first in English and then in Spanish and I was taken back to the time I went to Israel to those tight little corridors and that little cobblestone brick passageway of the actual crucifixion of the Via De La Rosa It began to dawn on me And all of my future, all of my life, my manhood, my marriage, my children, are a result of this one thought. 24 years ago, I set my mind, my heart, and my soul. So what the church sees now It's not just talent, it's not just ability, it's not just saved pastor's kids. What they see now is the product of a lifetime where the unseen things of the kingdom have had total, total priority in the unseen corridors of a man's personal life, fully eclipsing the things that are seen. You look at how I live and look at all that we do. It don't even make sense.
0: Thank you so much for listening to the sermon podcast of the Virginia Beach Potter's House Church. Were you blessed by today's message? Let us know. Please leave us a rating on Apple Podcast or on Podchaser. We'll be back next time with another life-changing word from heaven. God bless.